Welcome to Build Beyond Bricks, the Western Sydney Community Forum podcast. A place to learn, share, connect and explore using analysis and insights to lead and shape the future of communities. Hello and welcome to our platform, which is all about building communities. My name is Stephanie Adam from the team at Western Sydney Community Forum. Today is one of our COVID-19 specials where we unpack the impacts on agencies who are at the forefront of supporting people who experience vulnerability and crisis. And where we share our ideas, thoughts, tools and experiences so we can support each other in servicing local communities across Greater Western Sydney. Our guest today is Serena Ovens, CEO from the Physical Disability Council of New South Wales. Serena is also the convener of the New South Wales Disability Advocacy Alliance. Welcome, Serena. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. So we might just start off by getting you to tell us about the services that you offer and how COVID-19 has impacted on your programs and operations. Sure. So as you mentioned, the Physical Disability Council of New South Wales is the New South Wales peak organisation for people with physical disability. So our members are both individuals who have a disability and the specific disability type organisations that represent them. So we have members such as the Muscular Dystrophy of New South Wales, Stroke Recovery Association, Spinal Cord Injuries Australia, um, and they in turn have their own members that sit underneath them. One of our major roles is to advocate for inclusive change across New South Wales for all people with physical disability and along with educate and informing the wider community of the needs of people with physical disability. Alongside of that, PDCN has funding to deliver a suite of capacity building initiatives such as peer groups, workshops and individual mentoring for people with disability. We also offer information inquiry services usually from 9 to 5 Monday to Friday. As you can imagine in the current environment, this has been significant change for our organisation and the way in which we provide these services. COVID-19 has also added significant new work, particularly in the need for PDCN to advocate for equity in provisions for people with disability whilst living in this unprecedented time. As in many ways, they were initially forgotten, I guess, in the government subsidies and supports and likely to be subject to, to biases should demand outstrips supply for treatment in ICU situations in particular. Wow, that is a very large remit that um, you have over at PDCN. And I imagine that in normal times, your programming is very much people-oriented and face-to-face and very engaging So could you tell us a little bit about how what you do has been impacted in the last few months due to COVID? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, um, you're absolutely right that we do most of our work face-to-face with people with disability. Our peer groups are usually, but not always, we do have an online group as well, but they're usually groups that come and meet together month on month have some social interaction, but also um, develop skills, build self-advocacy, do different things that they'd like to do as a group. And that social interaction is really important for them. For us as a team, of course, we've had to consider quite quickly and, um, and be really nimble in how we manage change as well and how 
we can run those programs still via other means to ensure that people are not as socially isolated as they may otherwise be and to ensure that some can still get the benefits of the supports that we offer in this time. Yeah, it sounds like um, quite a challenge and quite an opportunity for some innovation at your end. Did you have any sort of examples about how you've done that and, and what the outcome has been? Yeah, look, we've um, obviously, like most groups, I think we've had to uh, look at different ways of, of developing um, programs. We've obviously gone out and purchased new equipment um, and running with some new new programs, online programs that allow us to, to link in and deliver services online. We've been able to talk to our members either via phone or via the internet and just check in and allow them the ability to tell us what's happening for them in this space and really ensure that as we've built our own platform and position on COVID and the things that we need to work on, that we've had them at the forefront by, as we said, either by survey, by online conversations, telephone conversations and through amazing technologies. Some of the technologies that are out there leave me for dead. Some of my staff are um, far more um, nimble at, at change, um, but certainly there's some really good technologies available. You know, the likes of Teams for, for us working um, in, you know, very isolated environments in our own homes has been great, even just to have that social contact between our own team, make sure people are okay. But being able to link with um, people with disability in um, their own environments too also means that you know we can think differently about what we might do in the future as well. Yeah it certainly has been a huge learning curve for all of us I think and definitely some great opportunities to innovate. So it sounds as though you've been pretty nimble and on top of managing a lot of these changes. Did that mean incorporating some additional resources or developing some new skills for you and your team and I suppose for the sector more broadly. Absolutely. So we've done a number of things. As I mentioned, for us, it's been some literal spending and, and thankfully the government, both at state and at um, federal level, have allowed us to, to reuse our funding in different ways to support the need at this point in time. So we have purchased new resources, webcams, you know, headsets um, and even some technologies to allow us to work more effectively. We've also joined numerous communities of practice. So where we do tend to link with the sector normally, um, most of the time it tends to be within our own sector. But um, what's been really great and a really good initiative at the moment has been moving within this, um, the different sectors in the not-for-profit areas, but also with the government. So we've got numerous communities of practice with New South Wales Health, where we're looking um, at many different sectors coming together, but to jointly find solutions to problems that people with disability are facing in the COVID environment. And that's been a really great way to affect change when we've got limited resources, but when others can put their hand up and say, no, we're already doing that. We can we can support them in one area and they can support us in an area, another area where we might be taking the lead. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that collaboration that we need at the best of times becomes even more important during times of crisis and being able to draw on those multidisciplinary skills and uh, engage with people at, you know, different levels and in different areas. It's so important. And I imagine through that engagement, you've had a great opportunity to learn more about what the important issues impacting your members and the disability sector are. And 
I'd love to hear a little bit more about how uh, PDCN is is addressing some of those. Sure. Yeah, look, we have, and particularly with, with talking, so we made um, quite early on the piece when people were really worried about the changes, and particularly for people with disability, this is, this is a time where many of them have had to self-isolate even more quickly than the general public because some of them are at significant risk of, um, you know, harm and, and becoming quite unwell when um, COVID or if COVID was to, to enter their own environment and if they were to, to catch the, the virus. In talking to our members and engaging with pretty much every single one of them, um, we got some really good insight into the things that were worrying them. Often as an organisation, we tend to have a fairly good interaction with our members and we know the main pressing concerns that, that hit them on a day-to-day -day basis. And we as an organisation have some, I guess, some particular interests in some areas of disability that we think we manage really well. And of course, some areas are far more relevant for people with a physical disability than others might be for people with other disabilities. But in this, we, um, we put together a position statement that had six main concerns for our members. Um, and they were the ones that, as I said, have come out of those conversations and um, that we thought were the ones that we could work best on addressing for them. So those um, were things like um, ensuring that people with disability weren't um, subject to any bias, particularly in a whole of population approach where we had a situation where demand might outweigh supply in ICU resources and treatment. What's happened and what we've seen from um, some situations overseas are horrendous issues where people with disability have been sent letters from their local GPs telling them that they should just sign a do not resuscitate order um, because if they get sick, no matter their disability or condition, um, you know, they should just um, say they didn't want to be resuscitated, that their life had no meaning. And, of course, for us, that was really concerning. We didn't want wow. that to happen there. Yeah. So whilst we know that some people with disability are more at risk of catching COVID um, and having significant consequences, others are, are no more likely than you and I, um, you know, to be at risk. Their disability doesn't mean that um, they would have any different reaction to catching COVID than the average able-bodied person. So we were really concerned that having a blanket rule um, that if you had disability, you didn't receive treatment or if there was a choice between a person with disability and someone who didn't have a disability and that choice was made with all the information on hand and done on an individual basis, um, that people would be much better off. So looking at the individual and their circumstance and taking into account all the factors that may affect their ability to survive and live a meaningful life is really important. To that end, we've been really fortunate that we've, with this issue, we've had some great support, both from New South Wales bioethicists who have worked with us to discuss how these issues can be dealt with um, equally and without biases. And we've been able to also link with New South Wales Health. And um, we now know that they're writing a framework with ethical guidelines for this situation. We've been able to inform that process and we'll see a draft of the framework and their assessment tool for review and to give feedback on within the next week. Whilst um, we have yet to see it, we're aware that good people have been involved in, in writing the documents and that there will be an opportunity for people with disability to look over the documents and make comment on 
the value and um, the acceptability of those documents. We're pretty lucky, I guess. I mean, Australia, as you know, has um, has not come to the point where we've had to make those choices where demand as outweighs supply, particularly when it comes to ventilators, and hopefully given the controls we've put in place, that this won't occur. But it's much better to be prepared, of course, to have good, line, good guidelines in place rather than having to make rush decisions by um, people who are under huge pressure in an ICU situation. Yeah, certainly. I, I That's quite shocking to hear that some of those practices have been going on in other countries and I think some of the people listening today might also find that quite confronting. Um, Incredibly, yeah. We, we found it quite confronting and we know that there are, you know, sometimes inherent biases. But to think that, um, that this is done without any consideration of an individual, um, their own needs, their own likelihood of survival, their risk factors, etc. And there's there's even some, some really interesting... Um, information coming out about how people react individually um, to COVID, even on a ventilator. Um, no one can, can guarantee or even pick whether or not you will be the person that might have that crazy immune um, immune reaction that makes you far more susceptible to having um, a really bad outcome than someone else. So, um, you know, just to say that because you've got a disability, you know, you shouldn't be counted as, as worth as the next person is, is really worrying. It really is. And I suppose on the flip side of that, though, I have to say it, good on PDCN for being on the front foot with that and getting a strong policy position in place so that we're not going down the same road as some of those other countries. That's that's reassuring, I think, for many, many people, particularly those who have a physical disability or have a loved one with a physical disability. It's so important that we're taking these steps to care for some of the more vulnerable members of our, our society. Yeah, thanks. And there's been some really good work um, being done by some of our, um, our partner organisations like the Council of Intellectual Disability at a national level too. Both themselves and um, People with Disabilities Australia have um, been working on a national framework around health for people with disability and, and that too has just been released. So it's amazing how sometimes these major um, pandemics or, uh, you know, extremely unprecedented situations bring people together to work on building solutions for others and um and you know whilst it's terrible to have and live in a time like this it can have some really good outcomes in terms of how we move forwards i can't agree with you more serena i think that a crisis is always difficult for people to manage but the silver lining can be opportunity for some great change and to really reassess what's going on i'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about the next steps for PDCN and the disability sector more broadly? Sure. So um, in terms of, of the COVID scenario, there's still a few more things that we, we need to work on. For us, we haven't had a resolution around ensuring that people with disability are given the same supports in terms of financial assistance. Um, so whereas people who were on job start and students that receive off studies and other subsidies have been given additional income support at this point in time, um, people on the disability support pension and carers pension haven't been able to access that same COVID supplement. Um, and that for us is, is a concerning thing and is something that actually myself and my policy officer will be 
speaking with um, Jordan Steele, John federally later this afternoon, actually, um, because it is a federal issue. It's, it's one that's a little bit bigger than us and we've got many organisations working on it. Um, but as you can imagine, people with disability, particularly on the DSP, the Disability Support Pension, they live at the moment below minimum wage. And right at this point in time with um, the COVID situations, um, meaning that many of them are self-isolating, they're living at home, they're having or have lost their jobs or having to make a decision not to go into work to keep themselves safe, um, they're also at risk of having even less um, income. In addition, we know that for people with disability, um, they have relatively high costs of living in a normal situation with medication, personal care supplies and energy costs that are usually above the general public. And of course, at the moment, these sorts of costs have even increased. Um, most of us know that when we go to the supermarket, there's there's additional costs for essential food and, um, and other you know, day-to-day -day products that we need. For carers, the same sort of thing applies. So, you know, they, many carers have left their jobs to ensure that they can support their loved one with disability and not have as many external staff coming in to reduce the risk of infection. And they too, if they've left their job by choice, may not be eligible for JobKeeper payments. So this is an issue that, again, we're working on with a number of different organisations and putting our weight behind a call federally to ensure that um, we can address this and that they're people with disability have equitable access to supports. It's such a complex bundle of, of issues that need to be addressed and, and human rights issues. I think we need to recognise that these are definitely human rights issues that we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everybody needs to be um, considered equitably in community. We need to all live, you know, the same level of, of life as the next person. So it really is important that when situations like these happen, that we don't just think about one part of our community, that we look at all parts of the community and address all need. And of course, it's really hard. I, I couldn't tell you what everybody needs in any given situation. Um, but as a group, that's why my organisation exists to be able to talk to the things that are affecting people with disability. That's why, you know, CODA, Council for the Aging, will talk about the things that are affecting their section of, of this community. And it's really important that everybody has that voice. You, you wanted to know the next steps, I guess, for PDCN in the disability sector. Um, one of the things we're doing as a sector, and you mentioned the, the Alliance, the Disability Advocacy Alliance, we are still quite challenged at this point in time in terms of surety of funding. So currently, the New South Wales Disability Advocacy Organisation's funding runs out on the 30th of June this year, though we have had verbal indication that this will be extended to December 2020. But as you can imagine, given the unprecedented situation we find ourselves in and the additional work we're having to manage with COVID issues for people with disability, um, we've been asking the New South Wales government to commit to at least a full year's rollover to June 2021 so that we can all have time for them to have time to consider the recommendations that the Ageing and Disability Commissioners review into advocacy funding put on the table and to obviously work with the sector to implement the recommendations of the review. We also understand that government at this point in time is having far more pressing issues to deal with than just our funding and we feel it's really pertinent to everybody as well as providing surety to people with disability that they have access to vital advocacy services at this time that we can just extend that um, rollover of funding um, into this financial year for a full financial year and then 
take a breath once we get through COVID and really look at what the reform will be, what the sector um, change will be post that time. But at this point in time, as you can imagine, with only two months funding left in the bank and no formal notification of any rollover, um, it's really concerning that there's something like 38 organisations in New South Wales that may not be around next year to support people with disability. Or if they are around, they may be well compromised in terms of their ability to to offer services because of um, a loss of funding in particular areas. In some respects, it'll always be business as usual in that we have our normal work to do. We just have even more work than normal. So we'll always continue to support our members and other stakeholders throughout this time, but we'll also ensure that responding to calls for submissions to government, things that allow us to speak to the general needs of people with disability in changing laws and regulations, um, we'll still be there to offer typical support and advice, provide training and social opportunities, but just in a different way, of course. Proactively, we're looking forwards to sort of trying to make some inroads into access to online ticketing for people with accessibility needs to address some of the inequities that we see in the health system and to see if we can't get all pharmacies in New South Wales to provide accessible entry to their stores because people with disability tend to be some of the most regular users of pharmacies and chemists. We'll um, we'll always work with Transport for New South Wales um, to in order to try and bring access to the public transport system up to 100%. But these things take time, Stephanie, and so patience and persistence is something that most advocates have in spades, as you can imagine. It's um, one of the essential tools of the trade, I think. It sounds like you are doing some amazing work over at PDCN, and thank you so much for sharing some of that with us today. Before we go, though, I'd love to hear if you have a key learning or suggestion that you wanted to share with others in regards to managing forced innovation and trying to achieve the best outcomes during COVID-19. Don't assume that you as an organisation knows best. Link with the people that you serve and make sure that the changes you push for are those that need um, and not what I guess as an organisation you think might be needed. And again, take time to check if anyone else is really working on that change already because doing things jointly in this time can save effort and resources, especially when we're so challenged at the moment. Some very sage advice there, Serena. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So do check out the podcast notes for how to get in touch with Serena or us here at Western Sydney Community Forum. We're all working in uncharted territory. We've never been here before. We're figuring out what to do and how to do it and hoping we're heading in the right direction. These are some of the things that we will continue to explore as part of the COVID-19 specials. Thank you for joining us and please get in touch with your thoughts and questions at any time. Stay well, speak again soon. And goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Build Beyond Bricks by Western Sydney Community Forum, the region's social development council, providing programs, services, analysis and insights. To learn more, visit us at wscf.org.au.